Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 105 of the Money Love Podcast. I have another fantastic guest episode planned for you today. I know that we have been rocking it out with the guest episodes lately, but y'all, there's just been so many incredible people that I've wanted to talk to for so, so long. I know that for a long time on the podcast, it was just you and I, and do not worry, we are going to get back to solo episodes with just you and I, just so you guys know the cadence moving forward. I have a couple more guests that we're going to get through over the next couple of weeks, but the cadence after that that I'm kind of thinking about rolling with is doing two solo episodes and then one guest, two solo and one guest. However, when I had the idea to have guests on the podcast, I started reaching out to a bunch of guests and there was just this flood of guest interviews, which is why there's been so many of them over the past couple of weeks. But I really hope that you guys have been enjoying just hearing different voices, getting different perspectives, alternative viewpoints from different coaches and mentors and experts in their area. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I have learned seriously so much from them. And I really, really hope that you guys have too. And this week's guest is actually a guest that is near and dear to my heart because this week's guest is not only one of my LCS colleagues, but she is also a client of mine. Honestly, at this point, I just consider her more than a client. She's really like a friend to me. Her name is Julie Mann. And Julie has, not even joking, been a part of every single program that I have ever offered, going all the way back to Budget Love. She has been with me for a long, long time. And I've been able to witness her transformation from when she initially came to me to where she is now. It is a one. She's going to talk a little bit about her story here. But really, this episode is not even about having one of my clients on the podcast so you can hear about all of her success that we've had working together. Julie, in the past three years, has actually gone back and become a coach herself. And she specifically coaches women on binge eating. She is actually the brain over binge coach. And she's just brilliant. She has a lot of great tools when it comes to overconsumption, when it comes to processing urges, allowing urges. And a couple of weeks ago, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, listen, I think that you need to have me on the podcast. (laughs) And I think that you and I need to do an episode about overconsumption and about the link between binge eating and overspending because there are so many overlaps between what she teaches her clients to stop binge eating and what I teach you guys to stop overconsumption with your finances and your spending habits. And we're even taking the conversation more high level than that. This episode really is about overconsumption in general, whether you are overconsuming food, alcohol, whether you're overconsuming stuff with your money, you're overconsuming social media, anything. It could be any type of overconsumption. And in this episode, I'm going to be sharing with you guys my past and honestly current struggles that I'm having right now with overconsumption. I talk about my past struggles with overconsuming stuff and shopping too much, my struggles with overconsuming alcohol in the past, and honestly right now, some struggles that I'm dealing with with overconsumption of food. And I know a lot of you guys are struggling in this area as well, And there's this phenomena of transference that kind of occurs. It feels like you get one area of overconsumption under control in your life. Maybe you get the overconsumption of food down, right? You're not binging anymore. But then you find that now that you're not binging or overconsuming food, that has transferred to alcohol or it's transferred to doing too much shopping. So those urges to overconsume and the default that we go to to buffer, to avoid and escape and to numb ourselves out, it's still happening. It's just manifesting itself in a different form. And what this episode is really going to help you guys with is how to deal with any type of overconsumption that you are doing. Again, whether it's with food, alcohol, money, social media, 
anything like that. Julie has the most amazing tips that you can use to identify urges, deal with urges, have compassion for yourself, and how to change your mindset around urges to actually view them as an opportunity instead of something that you need to avoid and resist and dread. So our conversation went on for well over an hour. We were talking and I looked up and I was like, holy crap, we have been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. So this is definitely a longer episode, but I am so thrilled and honored to have Julie on the podcast. I know that you guys are really going to benefit from this conversation. I will make sure to put all of Julie's information in the show notes if you guys want to find her or if you want to check out Brain Over Binge, where she does all of her coaching. And if overconsumption is something that you are struggling with in general, I know that this episode is going to help you. And also feel free to look further into working with Julie. So let's go ahead and get into it. I am so thrilled for you guys to hear this conversation with my client, colleague, and friend, Julie Mann. Julie, welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm oh, so I'm so happy to be here. I know. I'm so, so, so excited to have you on. Firstly, because you have been like one of my longest clients. And I have to say, like, you are probably my most enthusiastic client, which I know we'll probably talk about just being able to see and witness the progress that you have made over the last couple of years has been such an honor to be a part of your journey. And even just watching you over the past couple of years, coming into the coaching world and becoming a coach yourself. And now you are the brain over binge coach, but welcome to the podcast. I'm just so happy to have you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm such a super fan. Well, let's just go ahead and start here because although you are a client of mine, like you're in overcoming overspending, that's not really Mm -hmm. what we're going to be talking about today. What we're really going to be touching on and talking about is just this topic of overconsumption as a whole and how overconsumption can touch all of these different areas of our life, whether it's, you know, in the overcoming overspending land, the overconsumption of stuff and spending and shopping, or in your world, like what you're working with your clients on, the overconsumption of food. But let's really just start with your personal story. I'd love to hear your background and just kind of how you got to where you are today. Okay, great. It's hard to say where to start, but I mean, I'll just say that like I struggled with my own eating disorders over the course of 40 years of my life. And when I finally healed from it, and also got my finances together, all of a sudden, it seemed very appropriate to become a coach who would help me helping people struggling with eating disorders, because it's almost as if every road in my life pointed there. I mean, when I was a teenager, and then on my way to college, I, I was a nutrition major, because I thought that was my way to help people with eating disorders because I was trying to help myself with my own. And then I became a social worker and then I became a teacher and then I became a mindfulness practitioner and like all of these pieces kind of gelled together into, you know, me in my fifties now, you know, and being able to work and help people truly break free from eating disorders, which is, you know, such a, an honor for me to be able to do that work. And so, yeah, I've been doing it for almost three years now. And and it really is kind of like this weird way that all of these pieces of my life kind of just gelled together. And I know, so like in this episode, we're going to be talking about overconsumption. And Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of interesting because I think when each of us are thinking about our own particular, like to use the word, like, let's just call it like a vice or whatever. Like I do think, and I have read books on this, that each one of us kind of does have like our own, let's call it like vice of choice. And it can be different for each person, like whether it's shopping or whether it's eating or alcohol or social media or fill in the blank, right? I mean, it can really be any type of overconsumption, but I would be interested to hear you and your background of like how you maybe have struggled with overconsumption in your life, whether it's like food, shopping, something else. And then I'll Mm -hmm. share mine as well. Yeah. Well, for me, I would say they went in tandem, but for sure, there's this very, very linked pattern for me of overconsumption of, you know, with shopping and accumulating stuff along with all of the eating disorders, you know, binge eating mainly, but also anorexia, bulimia, like all of those pieces tied together and just even chronic, you know, yo-yo dieting and, and uh, emotional eating. And uh, for me, they very much go together. 
like there's this piece where any overing for me kind of ties into the other one. When I'm overspending, I'm all, there was often this like overeating piece going on at the same time and vice versa. So, yeah. And I would say for me too, mine come in waves. For me, like sometimes they're happening in tandem, like sometimes they're happening at the same time and sometimes they're not. It's kind of weird. Like I would say that in my early 20s, I definitely went through a period of overconsumption in terms of just stuff, right? Like just doing a ton of shopping, a ton of spending, acquiring a ton of stuff. This was a couple of years ago, probably like four or five years ago. I definitely went through a period of overconsumption of alcohol where it was like at the end of the day, I was just over consuming wine, right? Like it started with like a couple glasses at night and then it would turn into a bottle and then one bottle turned into like a bottle and a half, you know what I mean? And that went on for probably like a year or two where I was over consuming alcohol. And I would also say I definitely go through phases where I over consume food too. Like I'll just share like a recent example of I went to like, I was in Target the other day buying something and I walked past that aisle where they have like all the candy and stuff, like all the sweets. And I ended up buying this bag of these like chocolate, these like salted cover, like dark chocolate caramel thingies. And I brought it home and I just binged like the entire bag. And so I go through these periods of also over consuming food and it it tends Mm -hmm. to be like sweets for me. Like sweets tends to be my, whether it's like ice cream or chocolate or things like that. But Mm -hmm. so for me, I I would say like, those are kind of my three. It's like Mm -hmm. shopping, alcohol, and food. And sometimes they're happening at the same time. And sometimes they're not. And Mm -hmm. I will say too, like a lot of the women that I coach in overcoming overspending tell me the same things. Like I'm here this in your community too, where they're like, I stopped shopping or like, I stopped drinking so much but then I kind of filled that void of that overconsumption with like, now I'm shopping too much. And so it's like overing. It's just like the overing gets like transferred to different places. Yeah. I mean, so you, you're raising like several points that I just want to highlight here. So the first thing is that in general, especially with food and, and I'll, I'll say it also with alcohol, it's a progressive disease. So the thing about binging and, and drinking, you know, it's progressive. So if we think about dopamine and dopamine down regulation. So in the beginning, you might have one glass of wine, for example, and think like, mm-hmm. that's great, mm, delicious. It gives me a little, takes the edge off, but then it takes two glasses to take the edge off. And then it's a bottle to take, to take the edge off because your dopamine receptors are getting down regulated. And so mm-hmm. that's where that progressive nature of the disease comes in, where you need more, 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 more. Like there's never enough, you know, one won't cut it and there's no amount that's going to cut it. It gets to that point. And so for binge eaters, for example, it starts with like just some extra food, but then the extra food becomes pounds and pounds of food, literally. Mm -hmm. And to your point about like the bag of chocolates that you ate, the other piece of it, of course, is that anything like alcohol and sugar, all human brains say, I need more, 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 more of that. And so it's very human to have that response when you're having something like chocolate, because it's going to do the brain melt kind of thing. And you have a small child. And so it's not very uncommon to like seek a little soothing. You Mm -hmm. have the one piece of chocolate and it kind of takes the edge off the day and you're shopping and you're tired and whatever, not going into it with eyes wide open, which is always the thing. Like I'm going to have this chocolate and my brain is going to say, well, one was nice, but I want more, 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 more. Cause there's no cutoff with things like chocolate and wine and shopping. Even it's having that awareness right away that like, when I have this chocolate, I'm going to have it with knowing that when I have it, my brain's going to be like, that was delicious. I want the bag. And that's so then exactly, making decisions- it's so funny. That's right. exactly what happened. Like I literally ate one I remember having the thought like, oh my God, that's so good. Like I want another one. So then I had another one. And then it was kind of like, I just got into this like rhythm of like, okay, well I've had two, let me have three, let me have four. Before I knew it, like literally I just eaten the whole bag. And it was like this wild experience that after it happened, I was just like, whoa. And of course I felt terrible because I had basically just eaten like an entire bag of sugar essentially. But like while it was happening, 
that moment of it actually happening and occurring, I was just like, oh my gosh. And before we talked, I'm really glad that you mentioned the process of your dopamine receptors getting downgraded or dysregulated. Downregulated, downregulated. Mm -hmm. Downregulated. Yeah. Because before we actually started recording, I actually brought this book out again, Dopamine Dopamine Nation, Nation. um, Mm -hmm. that I've read before. And I just wanted kind of refresher. And I think that the point that you made, I want to make this point for everybody is that you were saying it starts as one glass and then two glasses. Even talking about my shopping experience, right? It started with me just going to the mall a couple of times because I was like, okay, I just need to kind of build up my corporate wardrobe. And it was almost like that was like the faucet, like me, like opening up the faucet. And then after that, it was like, boom, it was just like, it kind of like the gates opened. But to your point, it's like when that's happening, the more that you do it and the more that your dopamine receptors are getting like downregulated. She talks about in the book how your brain is going to tip to one side, like it's going to tip to either like pain or pleasure. And the more they're being downregulated, the more it's dipping to that side of pain. And that pain just kind of becomes like your normal state of being where you're just constantly seeking. Seeking. Exactly. Whatever it is, like you're seeking the alcohol, the food, the shopping. And so then it gets to a point where like you almost need the thing just to even get yourself back to like baseline. Baseline. Like in the beginning, it kind of gives you like this high euphoria. And then like the more you do it and the more that you need, the more you're actually just doing it, like not even to like tip to the side of pleasure and to get that high and that euphoria. But it's like just getting yourself back to baseline feeling normal is like what you need. And so again, the thing is also like, if you think about that seesaw, but then it's also, again, eyes wide open and being onto your brain. So the next day, let's just take the chocolates example. The next day, your brain, because, you know, seek pleasure, avoid pain, use as little effort as possible, right? Like that habit brain is going to be like a page going to remember. It also remembers like in terms of location. So like the next time you're in target, it's going to be like, mm, those chocolates were really nice. That's a great way to accompany. So it's about eyes wide open that the next time you're in Target, your brain's going to say chocolates would be great. And then you just know like, oh, yeah, that's just my brain suggesting that I do something that I did last week because it's seeking that dopamine hit. But I'm really well nourished. There's no need for food. And great, this is a chance to change my brain. I'm going to grow a new neural pathway in my brain right now. I'm going to override that pleasure-seeking behavior. And yeah, it might be a little uncomfortable for a minute, but I'm going to walk right past that candy aisle. And then I'm going to say, go me. I did it. And I'm going to savor how great I feel when I leave the store without the sugar crash, without wondering like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And I think that's really key because I think it's like when we're in those moments, like for instance, sticking with this example, it's like when I'm like walking down the target aisle and I walk past that aisle and my brain is going haywire because it like wants to like grab the chocolates or even like, let's just you like, you want to go to the home decor section because it's like, you know, you that you want to like peruse the home decor section and like possibly buy something there. And your brain is just like seeking that dopamine hit. We're focused on like the pleasure that we're going to get from whatever it is from eating the chocolate or getting to swipe our credit card and buy something. But I think you make a really excellent point in that if you can allow yourself the discomfort in that moment, getting to leave the store knowing that you're not going to like eat the whole bag of chocolate or that you're not going to make like, you know, the impulse buys that total up to hundreds of dollars. That actually, like the pleasure of that, the feel good feeling of that, honestly, like at least to me, feels so much better than the false pleasure that you're going to get from the chocolate or from the impulse buy. So it's just like getting yourself through that moment. It's also about like visualizing it before it happens. So decisions ahead of time. So like I'm going to Target. It's a dopamine fest in Target. Mm -hmm. It's like stuff and junk food and like all of those things, right? Starbucks, all the way, yeah. Yeah, like all of the things. So it's making decisions ahead of time. This is so important, but it's like, you know, they say like never go food shopping hungry, right? For mm-hmm. a reason. But in general with binge eating, you know, the, the big piece is we eat adequately. We nourish our bodies until we're full with foods that love us back. And then we expect and allow urges. And so it's the same thing. It's like going to Target. I'm going to be expecting and allowing urges for stuff, for candles, for mugs, for planners, for toys, for clothing, whatever the things are. 
and candy and Starbucks, like all the things. And I'm going to make a decision ahead of time. I'm going to Starbucks. I mean, I'm going to Target and I have my list and I'm going to get those things. And yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to leave that store so proud and go yeah. me when I do that. And then I'm going to yeah. think about all the money I've saved and how like I feel better in my body because I didn't eat all the sugar, all of that stuff, right? So like deciding in advance, thinking about any discomfort you might feel eyes wide open that it's going to be there and then following through and celebrating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's kind of walk through this process. I think it would be really, really helpful to kind of walk through like the overconsumption process, like start to finish, regardless yeah. of what overconsumption we're talking about. So yeah. first of all, I would be curious to get your definition of if someone asks Julie to define, okay, what is overconsumption look like to you? Or like, how would you define overconsumption regardless of what it is? How would you define it? I think that it quite simply comes down to buying, drinking, eating, whatever, in a way that is leading to suffering for you in some way where like you do not feel peace after. That's such a right? good definition. So like your, your brain space is just taken over by why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. What am I going to do now? There's like fixing going on after justification, lying, hiding physical discomfort, wallet discomfort, you know, whatever, but like any choice that you're making that is leading to suffering later and a lack of peace. Okay. That is a perfect, perfect definition. Yeah. My definition has always just kind of been consuming past the point of enoughness or consuming past the point of sufficiency. When we do that, when we consume past the point of enoughness and sufficiency, like that's where the suffering comes in. And I think like, it's important to say like, it's not necessarily what you're doing. I would say it's kind of twofold. It's the amount that you're doing it in and it's the motivation of why you're doing it, I think is kind right. of like the biggest piece. And also what story is attached to it? So for example, let's just take shopping, right? Like if we're taking shopping and you've made a decision ahead of time that like you're going to Paris and you're going to come back with a new wardrobe. And so you've made that decision ahead of time. So it might look to somebody else like you've bought a lot of stuff, but there was a decision ahead of time. It's a very clean decision. You save the money for it and you're going to have a ball doing it. And then you come home and it's very clean mm -hmm. versus you leave your house and you go into a store for one thing. And suddenly you come out with 30 shopping bags and you're like, what the heck just happened? And then you're like, how am I going to pay for this? And I'm going to have to take it out of my kid's tuition payment for this month. That's a very different situation. So then yeah. the story around that is going to be very different. And same with food. It's like, if you're, if it's Thanksgiving and you're like, I'm going to go to my in-laws and they make the best food. And I am so excited to have this like giant meal and I'm going to be really full. I'm going to eat a lot. I might eat past sufficiency today, but you're doing it again, decision ahead of time. And, or maybe, you know, whatever, maybe you decide you're not going to do that, but let's just take that example. So like you're going in and you're like, I'm going to make a big plate of everything and I'm going to taste all the desserts and I'm going to be really full and I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. Versus actually maybe same scenario, you're going to your in-laws and you're beforehand, you're like, I'm only going to eat X, Y, and Z. And then you get there and instead you eat 50 plates of everything and then you're beating yourself up the whole time and you're completely sick and there's no pleasure involved and there's no enjoyment to the meal and you leave there and you're like, oh my God, what did I do? And how am I going to fix this? And what's wrong with me? And then you go home and you continue eating just to soothe yourself for that. That's the difference. So overconsumption, consuming something to the point of suffering. So I love that definition. Okay. So let's keep on this path of like start to finish. So when you're kind of in that state before you've actually started the overconsumption process, whatever it is, why do we do that? <laughs> like when we know that the suffering is coming, or let's just say when we know the sugar crash or the spending crash is going to come, it's like, but yeah. we still do it, right? Yeah. Well, because again, the lower brain is a great lawyer. I mean, the lower brain, it, it will always fit every scenario. I'm so sad. I'm so happy. I've been doing so well. I deserve a treat. I'll start tomorrow. I just don't care. It will fit whatever the context is for that situation for that day, because it is fighting like hell to keep that habit alive, because it thinks that you need that habit for your survival. Mm. You know, it, it believes that. 
right? So it's like, well, it's five o'clock and, you know, tomorrow, you, you know, it's okay. I don't care. It doesn't matter. One more day. What's the difference? Maybe tonight will be the night that I'll just, I'll just have one glass. I'll just really have one glass. You know, there's always that like fallacy of I'm just going to have one crunch, just one bite. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, right. 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 But then the second it happens, this, see, that's the in, that's the in. And so again, I always feel like there with stages of change, you know, like in the beginning, like you're doing the habits and you don't catch yourself until after. So yeah. for a while, it's like you keep doing it, just like you're saying. It's like, why do you do that when you know you're right? And you're not catching it until after. But then you start catching it after and going, huh, I see that every time I do this, I feel horrible every time. And so after a while, you start noticing the futility of it. And so then next stage of change is you stop in the middle. So, you know, you might still engage in the habit. You might start shopping, but you cut yourself off sooner. You might start drinking, but you remember, oh yeah, when I drink a whole bottle of wine, I feel awful. So I'm stopping it too. Two isn't great, but it's, I'm stopping it too. Right. Mm -hmm. Or with the food, like you might be in midway through a binge, but you start going, oh, I know where this leads. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. So you start stopping sooner. And again, that's where celebration is so important because anytime you catch yourself on the trajectory, instead of being like, what's wrong with me? I can't believe I did that again. You go, oh, wait, look, I'm noticing my pattern. That's amazing. Or, oh, wait, look, I stopped midway. That's amazing. Go me. And then yeah. obviously then the last stage of change is you stop before it happens. You go to have the wine and you're like, uh, 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 I know where this leads. You're about to go into the store and you're like, I've really got plenty of scarves. I don't need anything here. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Right. And then it's go me. Look at that. Look at that change. You're so right. And I think the celebration is, is so key. When you're in those early stages, though, and I, I think like understanding those stages of behavior change, that's really key to know and almost kind of like identify which stage you're in. In the beginning, I think it's understanding that when you do get to a point where you want to change a behavior or when you're going to change a behavior, for me, it was like when I was going to stop drinking so much at night, knowing and expecting that discomfort ahead of time and being prepared for that discomfort. And she even talks about this in the book in Dopamine Nation. Mm -hmm. She actually yeah. recommends people do like a 30-day dopamine fast yeah, from like yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. familiar whatever thing that it is. And she even says like the first two weeks are probably going to be like yep. terrible. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you're going to have a terrible. Well, because your brain, you actually, there's a, it's called an extinction burst, but so your brain actually throws out even stronger urges. So like, if you imagine like curve, like mm -hmm. a graph, you know, so like you're doing the behavior, you're doing the behavior, you're drinking a bottle and a half every night, you're doing the shopping, you're binge eating on chocolate every single night for a while, and then you make a decision to stop, mm -hmm. your brain is going to fight like hell for a good two weeks. The urges are going to be very strong and very intense. So it's like a shoot up in the urges because number one, you've been rewarding them. So the brain is going to be throwing them out and it's trying to keep you alive. It's that caveman brain, you know, it's like, it thinks it's protecting you. Yeah. Now the big piece about getting through all of that, though, it's twofold. It's number one, it's like knowing that you're going to have your own back no matter what. Because I think there's so much self-judgment and self-flagellation and self-recrimination around eating, around drinking, around spending. It's such a, you know, there's so much shame tied up in it. I know my clients, like they're so mean to themselves. And it's like, no, it's just a learning moment. Treat it like a learning moment. And you have your own back and then you keep moving forward immediately. You don't rehash, you don't perseverate, you don't ruminate on what you did because that's just giving you more of what you don't want. So mm -hmm. like showing yourself, no matter what, even if I do drink a glass of wine or I do eat a few chocolates, but I stop, go me, amazing, and you keep moving forward. And yeah. then, yeah, to that end, yes, Anna Lempi, she talks a lot about like that 30-day dopamine fast. And then in the beginning, expecting that it's going to be really uncomfortable. But the other piece is choosing your discomfort because there's the destructive discomfort of the habit versus the productive discomfort of growth and change. Mm. And- that productive discomfort is very short-lived versus like the destructive discomfort of a binge 
it lasts for days because you have post-binge brain, you're depressed, you're despairing, you're sick to your stomach. There might be waking, there's bloating, there's, there's brain fog, there's joint aches. There's not one positive benefit to a, to a binge eating episode. And you've just ensured that the urges are going to come back bigger and stronger. That is total destructive discomfort. Same for a shopping binge, same for a drinking binge. Like it's days of suffering versus 90 seconds of an urge moving through you peacefully. 90 seconds of that desire moving through your body. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But on the other side, you're like, Woot! I saved yeah. $150. I saved $1,000. I'm going to sleep great tonight because I didn't drink a bottle of wine. I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a clear head. Like you get all of that. I once heard somebody say, which this really put in perspective for me, I don't know if you've heard this, but the average urge to do anything is going to last like probably on average, like seven to 10 minutes. Have you heard that before? No. I mean, okay. but, yeah. but, but I guess, I guess like my point is, is like you said 90 seconds, I've heard seven to 10 minutes. And I think the point I'm trying to make is like, it's not long. I love how you like called our brains a brilliant lawyer, or it's almost like a brilliant yeah. negotiator because it's like yeah. in that moment, your brain is going to be giving you all the permission, giving thoughts to like right. give into the urge. Cause of course that's what your right. brain wants you to do because your right. brain wants the dopamine hit. But right. I think it's like understanding that having to deal with that discomfort of the urge to consume whatever it is that you want. Like it's not very long lasting because, no. but your brain wants to, again, be super dramatic and be oh, like, of course, it's going to be awful. I'm just going to have to sit in discomfort for 30 minutes to an hour to day. And it's just like, the reality is, is like for the average person, it's, it's actually not going to last like super, super long. And I've never actually heard someone call it like destructive discomfort versus productive discomfort and make that distinction between those two things. And you're so right because it's like the one type of discomfort, it's just, it's so, it is like, it's so destructive. And I think you actually said this to me one time, last time we were talking, you said something about, do you remember when you said something like it always, you said always and never. Always and only. Oh no, I said always and only. Okay. Binging, overing of any kind, always and only makes everything worse. In the moment, people think, oh, this is going to feel so good, but it never feels good. Mm-hmm. And it's never taking care of whatever the thing is that you're trying to avoid. So if it's like, I'm so stressed, well, binging, overspending just adds to your stress. So you've got like the suffering of the stress coupled with the hellscape of the binge on the other side. So it mm-hmm. always and only makes everything worse, always. And the other thing that I wanted to say is, Urges are just a feeling of desire. The truth is that the trajectory of emotion, energy plus motion, is about 90 seconds when you peacefully allow it to move through you. Most people, though, for urges, and this could be an urge to binge, this is how I always coach around it, but it could be an urge to spend, an urge to do anything. There's usually four things that are happening. So one thing is you might elongate the urge. You start fantasizing about food or the item you're going to shop for. And the thing is we control what we desire. So like if you catch yourself fantasizing about a thing that's like a pain point for you, you want to flip it to something better. Like fantasize about petting your dog who I just saw walk past or like a walk in the park, something that has no suffering on the other side. So that's one thing people do. They elongate the urge. That makes it bigger and stronger. Mm. Another thing people do is they resist the urge. They fight the urge. Oh my God, what's wrong with my brain? This is terrible. It's so uncomfortable. I can't handle it. I'm going to die. You're in fight, flight, freeze mode as if a dinosaur is going to eat you. That resistance is making it big and strong. So that's going to make it last longer. Another thing we do is we debate the urge. We start rationalizing the permission giving thoughts. I'll start tomorrow. I'll just have one. I don't care. All of that. Should I? Should I eat? Shouldn't I eat? Was that an adequate meal? Oh, I really do need that sweater in that other color. I'll just get this one more sweater and then I'll stop tomorrow and I'll pay off my bill tomorrow, you know, whatever it is. And then the last thing we do is we reward the urge. So we eat the food, we buy the drink, we drink the drink, we buy the thing. And that's where that destructive discomfort comes in. And we've just ensured that the urge is going to come back. So that all makes it last way longer than 90 Mm. seconds versus peacefully saying, okay, I know what this is. And the other thing is, I like to tell my clients, love the urge. You want to have urges because you can't actually change your brain unless you have an urge and you let it move through you from your lower brain to your higher brain. It's like you're growing a tree in your brain. So yeah, it's not comfortable, but it's like the discomfort you get of like you're doing a workout and you love the endorphin high after. It's the same thing. It's that all growth is uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Right. But this is like the best kind of discomfort because not only are you rewiring your brain, but you're also showing yourself what you can do and you get all the goods on the other side. If it's peaceful, 90 seconds, seven minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, certainly better than days and days and days of hell. Yes. I want to give you like a very specific example. Like as you're talking about this, I'm like, yeah. oh my God. I, okay. I literally did this last night. Okay. So mm. I, I was literally writing these down as you were telling them to me, how you elongate the urge, you resist it, you debate it, and then you reward it. Okay. So last night we're filming this on May 2nd. So last night was the Met Gala. And I'm not like a big, super like fashion girl, but I've always enjoyed the Met Gala. I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, well, it's I amazing. Like, like turning it on TV yeah. and I like seeing all yeah. the celebrities like, yeah. arrive and I love like yeah. seeing what everyone's wearing and that sort of thing. So I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty good about like planning my drinking ahead of time where I say like, okay, I'm going to brunch with a friend. I'm going to have two mimosas or whatever. Like I've gotten pretty good with like exactly what you were talking about earlier, planning it ahead of time and doing that. But last night, around like 4 p.m. it like hit me and I was like oh my god like the Mets on tonight like I totally forgot but it's like the first Monday in May like it's on tonight and so I was like oh my gosh like it would be so nice to be able to like sit on the couch and like drink some wine and like watch the Mets my brain literally went through these four things that you just said to me I started fantasizing about it I started fantasizing about like sitting on the couch and drinking the glass of wine and watching it on TV and then I started kind of like resisting the urge and like fighting against it. And then I started like debating it and like my brain like started giving me. And so to your point, if I had just like had the thought of like, oh, the Mets on tonight and like the thought or like even the urge of like drinking the wine and just like peacefully allowing it and just being like, okay, like this is not something that we planned ahead of time, brain, understand that like you want to do this, but we're just going to like peacefully allow the urge. The urge to like drink wine last night while watching the Met, like literally probably lasted like hours only because I was doing all of these things. Exactly. Exactly. And like last night, like last night, it was like miserable. Last night, it was awful. You know what I mean? Because like all night long, I was just like, I was living in this like prolonged urge to like drink the wine when in like in reality, if I had just allowed it for even 10 minutes, like even if it did take 10 minutes to to pass and me get over it, it would have been better than like my entire evening. And truly that's that's what happened. So as you're saying this, I'm like, oh my God, I literally did this last night. Exactly. I mean, anytime somebody says to me, oh my God, the urge was so hard to deal with last night. I'm like, okay, well let's dive in what was going on. Cause again, it's hard when we make it hard and it's hard because we elongate, resist, entertain, or reward, right? And if you think about it, peacefully allowing other emotions versus elongating, resisting, rewarding, you know, so like, let's say we're angry with somebody and then we call up the friend and we're like, can you believe what that person did? And you go on and on, you're regenerating that emotion over and over again. So you're elongating it, you're fantasizing about it, you're you're getting pictures, you, you know, you could play out a fight in your brain. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever done that before, yeah. but like, <laughs> you know, when my late husband was alive, like, and something would happen between us and I'd be like rehashing everything in my brain and like talking about it and you're extenuating it. It, it becomes much longer and more, much more difficult to be with versus, I'm feeling some desire and that's okay. Yeah. Just a feeling in my body. And also, oh, this is a chance to change my brain. Because the other thing you said is I don't usually have urges to drink anymore in the evening. But what's beautiful to recognize is urges can come back at any time. Yeah. And when we don't have a story around it, because that's another thing that happens with my clients. They're like, I didn't have any urges to binge for a month. And then all of a sudden I had an urge. Now what's wrong with my brain? Oh my God. I must not be recovering. Something's wrong with me. And then it becomes a drama. Then they eat that you forget it. Like it's a whole thing versus, oh, interesting. I'm in a new context where I used to drink, mm-hmm. where I used to eat, where I used to shop. And I haven't had urges in a while, but now it's coming back because this is a new thing that like I haven't healed from. Oh, good. A new chance to change my brain yeah, and gain the benefits of productive discomfort. Yeah. And it's just like super interesting to like notice those things because again, it was kind of like, oh, in the past, like past years when the Met Gala is on in past years, I have like, I crack open a bottle of wine and I like do my thing and whatever. And so like last night when my brain was like, oh, the Met Gala is tonight, it was like, boom, there was that urge to like have the wine, (laughs) even though I haven't had that urge in a really long time. 
I'm sure you see this with your clients. I see it all the time in overcoming overspending too, where it's like people are doing really, really good. You've even come to me with this, like where we're doing like really, really good of like not spending and not shopping. And like you literally earlier this week, you told me like, oh, I opened up my spending vein. You know what I mean? And like, it's, and so it's like where we're really hard on ourselves about going back to the behavior, then that starts a whole nother cycle of the judging and the resisting and all of that stuff, which just makes it that much harder to kind of get back on the wagon because we make it mean just so many things. It's not working. I'm broken. I was doing so good and I'm not doing so good. I know our brains want to be super dramatic about it, but it's like, it's not necessary. Yeah. Well, and also it actually makes the urge more intense. And it adds, you know, in Buddhism, we call it extra arrows. It's uncomfortable to have an urge and not act on it. It's not fun to do that. But then if you add in, oh my God, why is this happening to me? This is so hard. What's wrong with me? Or God forbid, like you actually started to eat or had a little bit of wine or, oh my God, I've blown it. What's wrong with me? Oh my God, look at that. I've I've blown it. I'm relapsing. This is terrible. Like you're adding all these extra arrows, which increases the suffering, which makes the urge even stronger. And then what do you need? You need to soothe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then you're going to turn to the thing of choice in order to soothe those feelings versus, oh, look at that. Interesting. I'm having an urge. Yeah. You're uncomfortable. Of course. I don't usually have urges to drink at night anymore, but I'm watching the Met Gala and in years past, I've always paired it with wine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Look at that. Yeah. I think that's one of the most life-changing skills that I've learned coming into coaching is learning the skill of not piling negative emotion on top of more negative emotion, which I feel like is such a natural inclination for us to do as human beings. And I see this all the time. It could be that we're having thoughts that we don't want to have. And so then we pile on more negative thoughts, like on top of the negative thoughts, we're experiencing emotions that we don't want to have. Like I was coaching somebody the other day and she expressed to me how she often feels jealous a lot. Like she feels jealous a lot of other women. And then she feels shame about the jealousy. So she's feeling jealousy and then she's feeling shame about the jealousy. And so that's a perfect example of like, I call it a negative emotion sandwich, right? You're negative emotion and you're piling on more negative emotion. And I think that one of the most life-changing skills that you can learn is to allow the negative emotion in your life that you're experiencing and just stop it there. And just to say like, there's no need that we need to compound this to make it any bigger. We don't need to pile on any more negative emotion. That's what you're doing when you're over consuming. You're taking the negative emotion that you're trying to ultimately probably escape or distract yourself from with the overconsumption, and you're just compounding it into the future. That's right. That is like the most life-changing skill of just recognizing like, I feel negative emotion. I feel discomfort. I don't have to compound it anymore. Like end of story done. Right. Exactly. 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 The urge, like that feeling of desire, like there's a lot of story around that. So then it's like, I shouldn't be feeling this. Why am I feeling this? And again, that, that just exacerbates the urge. It makes it bigger and stronger and harder to cope with. You're already in pain. Pain times resistance equals suffering. Pain times resistance equals suffering. So you're already in pain. You know, you've got an urge or you're feeling jealousy or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling incompetent or you're feeling embarrassed, whatever the feeling is. And then I shouldn't be feeling this way. This is a terrible feeling. I need to get rid of this feeling. What's wrong with me? Whatever it is, all of that resistance equals the suffering. Yeah. Versus like, I've got, I'm feeling a little incompetent today. Okay. I'm a human. I'm a messy human. Equals suffering. I've never heard that before, but that's brilliant. So let's kind of take the opposite of these. Let's just say that somebody is feeling the urge to overconsume anything, right? Like fill in the blank, your vice of choice. So you said that we elongate the urge and we make it bigger when we fantasize about the stimuli, whatever it is we're talking about. When we resist Mm -hmm. it, we debate it, and then we reward it. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of go through the process of the opposite of what that would be. For someone who who has an urge and they want to start allowing it, and to your point, like pass it peacefully so that they can just pass it 
in the quickest amount of time possible. <laughs> yeah. So what I always say is you want to expect and allow discomfort to come. It's coming. I mean, discomfort is part of life. So we want to ha- we want to build up our comfort with discomfort, like our discomfort tolerance, right? That's the first thing. So yeah. expect and allow discomfort to come. But it's the productive discomfort that we want to expect and allow. So it's going in eyes wide open, like going all in for the soft, going all in for the hard <laughs> in yep. the beginning. Like it's coming, you know, you have a newborn. I had a newborn 18 years ago, right? When you teach a baby to sleep, it's not fun. They're going to cry. Yeah, right. (laughs) They're going to cry. And if people tell you they're not going to cry, then, you know, they're hoodwinking you a little bit, right? Like the baby's going to cry, but they're going to learn to sleep. So that's productive discomfort because we need to sleep as humans. We need to sleep through the night, right? So like we teach our babies to sleep. And when they don't need to feed in the middle of the night, they're going to cry for a while because they have an urge that isn't being met. Same thing. So it's like we go all in. So like if it's binge eating, if it's overspending, if it's drinking, if it's shopping, if it's gambling, if it's tech use, Mm -hmm. anything that you've decided like this is causing me suffering, it's giving me a lack of peace. So it's going in eyes wide open, expect and allow that discomfort to come and get excited to have urges. Because the thing is, Paige, you can't change your brain unless you actually have an urge and let it move through you. You know, I have a lot of clients yeah. who are like, I'm being sure I haven't had any urges for two weeks. And in the beginning, a lot of times, and maybe you see this with the spending group, there'll be a honeymoon phase where people are like, that's it. I'm never yeah. binging again. <laughs> or that's it. I'm never buying anything again. And, you know, they get out their trackers and they're so excited and they're celebrating. And But they're like, I never have any urges because it's the honeymoon phase. And then the urges start coming and then the learning moments start happening. So, again, it's like eyes wide open, expect and allow urges to come. Get excited to have it and remind yourself, like, this is my chance to change my brain. This is my chance to grow a tree in my brain, to build that new neural pathway. And yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But the other thing is beforehand, have a list of all the benefits you're going to get on the other side. So, you know, if it's a food situation, if it's binge eating right on the other side, and I always say non-weight benefits. So like your digestion is better. Your sleep is better. Your mood, your energy, your finances, binging is expensive. Your brain space, your self-trust, your integrity, your pride, Uh, what's going to be better that has nothing to do with your size, weight, shape. Now, if it's a spending problem, what's going to be better if you don't buy the things? You're going to have more space in your house. You're going to be in your integrity. Your bank account's going to grow. Whatever it is, get really clear on those things so that when you're having the urge and you let it move through you, then, you know, on the other side, you celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. I have a bell I ring for my clients. You know, I say, woohoo! <laughs> so you, you can have an urge jar. I know you talk about that. I do too. But you have to celebrate. And I always love for my clients to write down, because I didn't binge today, I get these benefits. And write them down and savor them and let that sink in. Because yeah. then it's totally worth going through that little bit of discomfort. The other piece of it that I will also say is if you catch yourself elongating or resisting or debating, try to catch it quickly and flip it. So like, oh, there I go. No big deal. I caught it. Okay. I'd rather fantasize about, you know, how much money I'm going to have in my bank account later or about this new art project I'm working on or about this vacation I'm planning. Have other things to, to shift your desire to. And two things that you said that I kind of want to touch on as well. So the first is, I love how you say, like you tell your clients to think about the non-weight benefits. And I think like, even with the spending or the shopping, of course, when you alter that behavior and you stop impulse shopping so much, like, of course, there's going to be financial benefits to that, which I think is like just the most obvious thing that our brain goes to. But to your point, think deeper than that. Think deeper than just the financial impacts or just the financial benefits that stopping will provide. Because to your point, there's so many other things, right? It's like your relationships are going to be healthier. There's so many women who's like their marriages or their relationships with their partners are suffering because of their spending habits. Exactly what you said, like just being in integrity with yourself, that trust with yourself of knowing like, I said I was going to do this and I did it. To your point, percent. having an environment that's clean and, and clutter-free and organized, uh, yeah. so many uh, other benefits uh, yeah. besides just, oh, I'll have the more non- money in my bank account. Absolutely. The non-financial benefits that come from not overspending. I mean, I know when I came to you, it was like, 
My late husband had died. My parents were helping me out financially. And I was so out of my integrity with that. It killed me every single day. It was something that was like destroying me truly in my soul. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, I can't have my elderly mother working and like giving me money to help. Like, no, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm never taking another dime from my parents again to help with this. I understand it was great that they could help. And I understand that they were doing it from a great place, but it didn't feel good at all. And when I started you know, not overspending, and was able to take on extra work, become a coach, build a whole new career. It wasn't about the money. It was about the integrity and the peace and the relationships and the clean living cleanliness in my mind. Of, I earn for my daughter and I, I save for my daughter and I, and, you know, of course, like not having all that stuff, any of it, like whatever it is. Yeah getting really clear on that because you get all of that immediately. You don't see your bank account go up by a million dollars in a day, but you don't overspend for one day. You're in your integrity, your mood, your pride, your relationships, that peace, that's all waiting for you immediately. Talk about instant gratification. It's on the other side of the urge. Same thing. You don't binge one day. Your weight's not going to change, nor should you be thinking about that anyway, because, but your mood, your pride, your sleep, your digestion all improve and you get that all the way through. Yeah. I love thinking about kind of like the non, the non-obvious benefits, right? Of whatever it is, like with whatever overconsumption we're talking about, like the non-obvious benefits, like not the weight loss, not the financial benefits. It's like, what else is going to happen? And I love the way that you just phrased it. It's like, what else is waiting for me on the other side of this urge? Like there's so many things that are like literally waiting for me. So many good, amazing things that are waiting for me on the other side of this urge. And those things are going to feel so much better. All I have to do in this point in time is get through the productive discomfort, right? Get through the productive discomfort. And I've done an episode on this too. It's like the discomfort is going to happen. It's not anything that can be avoided. It's a matter of when you're going to feel the discomfort. And so now you've kind of broken down for me. Okay. Like it's either the destructive discomfort that you're going to have to feel later giving into the false pleasure now, or it's going to be the productive discomfort that you feel right now, but it's going to dissipate and move. You're going to be able to move through that. And then there's going to be all of like the non-obvious benefits waiting for you on the other side of the urge. And I say the same thing you say. I say this all the time in overcoming overspending. I'm like, listen, embrace the urges. Welcome in the urges. Like every time an urge to splurge hits you, it doesn't have to be this like doomsday, like, oh my God, here it is. Like, uh, like dreading the urge. Right. Right. It's like, this is an opportunity for me to become a better feeler. This is an opportunity for me to become a better spender. I love how you say, like, this is an opportunity to change my brain, to rewire yeah. my brain. Like, right. there's just so many, like, beautiful things that can come from the urges that we feel to overconsume whatever it is. And I think, like, the mindset shift of, like, embracing the urges, open yourself up to them. Right. They're not as bad as your brain wants to tell you that they are. And there's so much good waiting for you on the other side of it when you can just open yourself up to it and get to that other side of the urge. That's so right. That's it's right. such good stuff. I love how you say celebrate, celebrate yourself. I find this like, especially with women, like regardless of what we're talking about, we're so quick to minimize the things that are going well. Oh, And we always yeah. want to focus on like, what's going wrong and how we failed and how we slipped up when it's like, there's so much good that's happening and we don't want to talk about it. Like every single Friday and overcoming overspending, we like share wins and we celebrate wins. And I'm like, listen, every single one of you has a win. Even if you don't think that you have a win, I promise you, you have a win. Your brain is just trying to tell you it's not a win. And so I love how you're saying like celebrate it, allowing one urge to splurge or allowing one urge to binge and not giving into that urge. Even just if it's one time, that's a win. It's It's huge. huge. Well, I mean, there's so many things to that. I mean, first of all, we all have a negativity bias of the brain. And Rick Hansen says our brains are like Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good. So Mm -hmm. in order to override that negativity bias of the brain, it's not just nice to celebrate. It's required for brain change. And BJ Fogg, he's a neuroscientist at Stanford. He wrote the book, Tiny Habits. So all of his research is on habit formation. He calls it shine, but it's like, that's neural super glue. So you have the urge, you let it move through you. Then you celebrate, go me. I did it. 
Look at that. I had an urge and I let it move through me. Yay. Because that's how you solidify the new neural pathway. And, you know, if you think about like when we're children, everything we do gets celebrated. When you have a child, everything they do, they fall down, they get back up. Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and they seek that praise because that's how brains learn. Right. Mm. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's actually what we celebrate, we integrate, like it's required for brain change. It's not optional. And the reason that everybody's so quick to dismiss it and to, you know, to, to minimize the wins is because our lower brain is like, yeah, but it, I, you know, I only did it one time. I mean, what's one time or yeah, but you should see how much debt I have. So I didn't buy that mm. one thing. What's the difference? Or yeah, but I binged yesterday. Like our brains are going to go there and it's like, yeah, but I didn't do it just now. Go me. And it is uncomfortable to celebrate. In the beginning, it is uncomfortable. But again, that is productive discomfort. And if you get comfortable celebrating, which is an uncomfortable act for you, then you're going to get more comfortable allowing urges, which is an uncomfortable act. Like it's all getting comfortable with that discomfort. With the discomfort. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm reminded of an episode that I did a couple of weeks ago where I was talking to um, Cecilia Mandrick, who's the habits coach, right? She's the, mm -hmm. she's an LCS coach, but she's a habits coach. And we were talking about how just our inner dialogue and how the way that we think becomes a habit. And I think when you're saying that, I'm also thinking, if celebrating yourself, if directing your mind to the positivity and the things that are going good feels awkward to you, it feels uncomfortable to you, it feels unnatural to you, it's only because it's not practiced enough, right? right? And I love how you're saying like celebrating yourself actually is a habit. Celebrating yourself and consciously like looking at what went well is a habit. And I actually tried to do this a couple of years ago because my brain, I'm an Enneagram three, which is the achiever. So my brain is very much focused on like productivity, right? In terms of like when I end a day, my brain wants to focus on like what I got done and mostly what I didn't get done. Right. And so in the past, what I would do is I would go to bed and I would just fixate and ruminate every single night over like, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you can, and you didn't get this done. And this is still left on your list and da, 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 da. And so I had to consciously direct my brain every night to get into bed and focus on what I did do and what I did get done Love versus it. what I didn't get done. And I think it's just, that's almost kind of a different form of celebration, but it's just <laughs> celebrating yourself and focusing on the small wins, even just like allowing one urge. It's a practice and it's a habit and it's probably not going to feel natural to you. I think this is like one of the huge thought errors we have as human beings is we think it feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel natural to me. Therefore it's bad. It's wrong. It's not meant for me. There's just something off and weird about this. And it's like, no, that's not really the case. It's just the fact that it's unfamiliar to you at Correct. this point. Yeah. And that's we all get, it is. We get, we get good at what we practice and we're really good at complaining and beating ourselves up and perseverating and rehashing what we did, what we think we did wrong. And what do we get more of? Complaining and negativity and all the things we think. And that's very comfortable for us because again, Velcro for the bad. Teflon for the good mm -hmm. and we blow past the good. And so to override that propensity, it takes overt practice. It takes yeah. knowing I have a negativity bias of the brain. I have a human brain. All human brains have a negativity bias. We're looking for danger. We have amygdalas. Yep. It, yep. it keeps us from walking in front of buses and sticking our hand in fire. So that's great, but it doesn't serve us in many instances. So to really lean into celebrating, go me, I did it. I allowed an urge. Now I know I can do it. And you keep moving forward or go me. I started to binge and I made a U-turn or I started shopping and I only bought one thing, not 50 things. Go me. I did it. It's so important. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's kind of wrap up here with one thing. So I think when it comes to the overconsumption and just kind of like getting yourself off like the overconsumption hamster wheel. I think in the beginning for anyone listening to this, if there's an area of your life where you know you're doing a lot of overconsumption, regardless of what it is, definitely consider doing kind of like a dopamine fast. You know, science has shown and studies have shown that typically like giving your brain a break from whatever it is for at least 30 days can be very beneficial. And like, honestly, that's about the time that it takes to kind of, again, write that 
pain pleasure balance beam or yeah. that seesaw that we were kind of healing, talking about healing in the those dopamine receptors. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So then after that, it's like, okay, I've done my dopamine fast from whatever it is. And now I'm kind of like working my way back into whatever it is and consuming the food, the alcohol, the social media in a healthy amount. And so what would be some of your tips for someone that's going from like binging to then like eating in a healthy amount, or maybe that's like overspending and over shopping to then like still spending money, but doing it kind of in a healthy amount. It's interesting, right? Like about spending and eating. Those are things that we must do for the rest Mm -hmm. of our lives, right? right? So like, it's not like alcohol or cigarettes, you know, or drugs where you can just stop and never touch it again. Yeah, It's not an all or nothing thing. We all interact with food throughout the day, several times a day. We all interact with money, you know, paying Mm -hmm. for homes and food, you know, like the base, even even if it's just the basic necessities. So even during a period of fasting, like from the binge eating or the binge spending or the binge drinking, whatever it is, you know, you're still going to be interacting with these things. So my thing is that we all create our own formula, right? So like your own unique formula designed by you because nobody else is in your body. Nobody else is in your household. So like it's designed by you. I know you call it like your what's the word you use for the budget? It's not Oh, like your money map or your spending, your money map, right? Your Mm -hmm. money map, right? And like, I call it finding your formula. So your own unique formulas, a way of spending you love that loves you back a way of eating that you love that loves you back. Take away all the labels. Like it's not about expensive or inexpensive or like Mm -hmm. wasteful or not wasteful because it's so subjective. You know, I, I always tell my clients, it's not clean, dirty, healthy, unhealthy. What I say is healthy. Somebody else would say is unhealthy those labels are completely subjective and nobody's in your body. Nobody's in your household. So you make those decisions ahead of time and then you expect and allow urges in between. So if it's like, I'm going to go to the store because I need X, Y, and Z. And I know when I go to that store, I always want extra stuff. So again, it's like visualizing before you go to the store, you're walking in, you're going to have urges come out, but don't, don't pretend like it's just going to be like, Oh, la di da. No, you're going to go in, you're going to have urges. And then go all the way through it. Like, I'm going to get the things I need, show myself I can do it, celebrate on the other side, right? Same thing with food, you know, and I have clients who abstain from things. I have clients who want to bring them in. Everybody's got a different setup. You know, everybody's formula is different, but whatever it is, you're deciding on what an adequate meal is for you. What is, what is an amount of food that you love, that loves you back where you feel good after, right? And you're going to have that food and your brain might say, that's too much food. That's not enough food. You need more, 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 more. And you go, okay. And then urges in between and it's navigating it all the way through in that way. Yeah. Consistency over time until the urges get very, very quiet. Yeah. And I think that that's like one tool that everyone can take. It's just like such a clear place to start the tool of planning your consumption ahead of time. That has Mm -hmm. been the one tool that has been such a game changer for my spending habits, for my alcohol consumption. It's definitely something that I can work on in terms of food, but it's like using your prefrontal power that I talk about a lot, like using your prefrontal cortex, the human part of your brain, the part of your brain that actually does care about the consequences to your choices, the part that's actually going to be thinking about, okay, what ripple effect is this choice going to cause in my life? a week from now, a month from now, and using that part of your brain to plan your consumption choices ahead of time. That's like the one place that you can start. I don't drink alcohol unless it's planned at least 24 hours in advance. Choosing to buy something or choosing to spend money on something where making those choices ahead of time. It sounds too simple. And I think a lot of people sometimes think that the simpler something is, the less effective it will be. I think people often like to think it's just, it's too simple to work. When we're looking to have these like big changes in our life, it has to be this big complex solution. And it doesn't really have to be. This is one tool that you can use right away. That's going to make such a difference. Just planning things ahead of time. It's like, if I didn't plan it at least 24 hours in advance, it's not happening. And along with that plan, plan for urges to arise. That's the other piece of it. You know, I talk a lot about future self journaling and there's doing whoops, you know, wish, outcome, obstacle, plan. The the whole idea is that for that stuff to be effective, for visualization to be effective, for pre-planning to be effective, you also have to factor in the discomfort that's going to come with the choice. It's not going to just be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm a rock star. Everything's great. It's I've decided I'm going to have this 
And when I have this, my brain is going to be like, um, I need more, 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 more. Where's my more? Where's the more? And so it's being ready for that with your, yeah, actually, no, more isn't better. More is just more and more leads to a world of pain. I'm having this. This is good. This is what I decided on. Go me. I get the win and I get to have all the benefits on the other side that come with it. I love that. Well, I think we're going to end there. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show in this conversation. Oh God, I know it's going to help pleasure. I know it's going to help so, so many. I mean, again, you guys, you can take this and literally apply it to anything, mm-hmm. anything that you are over consuming to Julie's definition, any consumption that you're doing to the point that's creating pain and suffering, regardless of what that looks like, you can use all the tools we talked about today. Well, before we sign off, tell people where they can find you. Just tell them like about what you do and what you help with and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm the brain over binge coach and I have a group, the brain over binge coaching group. So you can find out about that brainoverbinge.com forward slash group. And you can also just look on the brain over binge website. There are tons of free resources there. You can also find about one-on-one coaching with me there and all the podcasts I've been on for brain over binge and blogs and all kinds of free stuff is there. And I also do a free coaching call on the last Saturday of every month from two to two thirty Eastern on zoom. So you could sign up on brain over binge for the newsletter, and then you'll get information about that free call if you want to get more. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. Well maybe I'll join the next one then. That's fun. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being on Julie. My pleasure. Hey girl. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in overcoming overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money and your spending will be controlled, purposeful, and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.